listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Have you ever met a person who is seeking the approval of others? Someone that is completely a people pleaser. Now, some of you might be going, well, uh, Andrew, that's me. I'm sitting here today. I'm that person. And, And so am I. I'm that type of person. I'm a people pleaser. Now, it's not uncommon, though, for the counsel to these traits to be statements like this. You just need to value yourself more if you're seeking the approval of others. Or if you're a people pleaser, you need to develop a stronger sense of self. But Jesus categorizes people pleasing a little bit differently. Counterintuitively, in this passage, Jesus posits that people-pleasing results from thinking too highly of ourselves already, which is interesting, isn't it? But this isn't just something a few people struggle with. For those of you that didn't think of yourselves, Ed Welch says this in his book on fear of man. He states that the fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it. So if you have a pulse this morning, to some degree, you struggle with the fear of man or people-pleasing. So we'll see this morning that Jesus has something to say about people-pleasing. And that the motivation, particularly for our generosity, reveals who we really worship. Either ourselves or God. We'll look at, that, look at this this morning through two points. So if you're taking notes or writing things down, there'll be two things we look at in this passage. A warning about motivations, and then secondly, a call to self-forgetful generosity. So a warning about our motivations, and then a call to self-forgetful generosity. A warning about our motivations. The backdrop for this particular verse, these particular verses we're looking at this morning goes back to chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, where Jesus talks about something that's a greater righteousness. He says, he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus goes on through chapter 5 to get to the heart of things. He talks about anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, enemies. And we've heard those over the last few weeks. Jesus going to the heart. Jesus was making it clear, though, that in reality, no one can exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus is the only one who fulfills these things. But the evidence that we are united with Jesus is that that heart ethic begins to play itself out in our lives and relationships, which is what Jesus is driving at. 
So then we get to chapter 6 here, which really are just like arbitrary sections in our English Bible. So just think of like this, this all flows together here. These words of Jesus all flow together. We see Jesus here warning about practicing righteousness before others. And particularly throughout chapter 6, in the first 18 verses, are giving here. And then we'll see praying and fasting in future weeks. But as you heard this passage this morning, I imagine you might be thinking this. You might be thinking, why does Jesus start off this way warning to not practice our righteousness before others? Because, Andrew, didn't Jesus say somewhere else, if I recall back in chapter 5, that we are to live our lives in a way that actually catches the attention of the world around us as salt and light so that they might glorify him? Yes, Jesus does say that. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So wait. In chapter 5, Jesus says, live in this way so that others can see your good works. But in chapter 6, he says, live in this way so as not to be seen. That sounds contradictory, doesn't it? He seems to be saying, live in a way that people will see your good works. And now he's saying, live in a way so that they don't see your good works. Make it visible, but hide it. How can we do both? You might be going, what? What is Jesus talking about? So, Some of you might be thinking this, just kind of as an aside. Maybe you heard... This passage this morning, you thought, yeah, you know what? I kind of get what Jesus is saying, really. I I don't understand how anyone could ever talk about good things that they do. That seems so self-focused and self-righteous, right? Yeah, I I agree with Jesus. It makes sense. Others of you might be inclined to think, well, I don't understand why so-and-so or other people never talk about loving others. They, They must not be doing anything at all to love others. They must not care about others like I do. I like to make sure everyone knows what I'm doing, knows my position. Do you see the irony of self-righteousness in both of those positions? The first, I'm more righteous because I don't talk about what I do. Look how righteous I am. A perversion of verse 1 here. The second, I'm more righteous because I do talk about what I do. A perversion of chapter 5, verse 16. And at the center of both of those statements is me. It's us, me, that Jesus is warning about as the problem. We're the problem. The key phrase here to understand what Jesus is focusing on then is the phrase, in order, for the purpose of. So he says, again, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by then. The issue here that Jesus is driving at is our motivation, the heart. We shouldn't be surprised that Jesus is going after the heart again. It's, it's not wrong, Jesus says, to practice righteousness in front of others. It's wrong to do it to get attention of others. Do you see the nuance there? It's wrong to do it to get attention. Uh, Let me ask this diagnostic question. What is your motivation behind the righteous acts you're doing? 
pick any of them. We'll look at giving specifically here in a moment. But what is your motivation? That's Jesus' question. In chapter 5, Jesus is nudging his disciples to be bold and courageous. Be sought in light. Live in a way that others see your good works and glorify the Father. Be courageous. Be bold. Here, he's nudging his disciples and you and me to be humble and not self-consumed. Jesus is not saying... Beware of practicing righteousness before others. He's saying, beware of doing it to be seen. That's the important phrase there. Beware of doing it to be seen. Beware of directing attention to yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer notes this, that we are only being light. We're only being sought in light in as much as we're pointing others to Christ, not ourselves. Otherwise, you're not really being sought in light. You can do good things, but not be sought in light. That's what Jesus is saying between these two passages. To be sought in light, you must be directing the attention to God. Whose eyes are you seeking attention from? God or man? Where do you seek your acceptance from? People or God? people-pleasing. We're back to that. Living our lives in front of others. This is the root issue Jesus is getting at. It just gets illustrated through different ways in our lives. And in this passage today, specifically in giving. But it's not limited to just generosity and giving. Listen to John 12. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. In what ways does that characterize our lives? Loving the glory of people. What Jesus is presenting here is two ways of living. Lives before God or lives before people. Lives before others or lives before God. Growing up, and it's still there, above my parents' sink in their kitchen, they had this little placard that said, just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. My mom put that up there at some point years ago. It's still there above the sink. Kind of a pithy statement, but true. Jesus says there's two ways of living, lives before others or lives before God. Lives before others is living our lives in front to get their eyes on us, as it says, so that they might see us. It's people-pleasing, seeking the approval of others. As Ed Welch says, it's making people big and God small. But living our lives before God is knowing that he has his eyes on us, that we live with the fear of God, seeking his approval, that God is big. Our lives are to be lived before God Not man, says Jesus. Even more, we don't need to get the attention of God. What's clear in this passage is that God's attention is already there. He sees what is in secret. God sees all. Think about this. If the one who can see everything at all times isn't the one we are putting first, we should really pause to consider why. It's really not logical 
Not that what we do in our lives is always logical. Why are we wanting the attention of finite, limited, non-omniscient people around us? Maybe you're here this morning and you didn't know that God sees all. Maybe you're new to the Bible. Maybe you walked in today for the first time. You go, I've never even heard that. God see, there's a God that sees everything? Wow, that's pretty fascinating. That there's someone else that already ha- I have the attention of at all times. Maybe, though, you do know this and you just go, I don't care. Right? Yeah, I, I get the idea that God sees all, but I really don't care about it that much. Maybe you're just indifferent. But maybe, thirdly, like many of us, you feel attention a, a tension, not attention. You feel a tension in your life that you can control what people think about you, but you can't with God. You can control what people think about you, but you can't control what God thinks about you because he already knows you. Now, that might be uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. It's easier to, for me and us to delude ourselves into a false reality by going, well, let me figure out a life to live so I can kind of manipulate what people think versus the reality of who God knows we are. Mark Dever, he's a pastor. He asked this question. I thought it was a very good applicational question. He says, how are you different when you are alone than when you are with other people? How are you different when you are alone than when you are with other people. Now, people can spur us on in righteousness. We're made to be in community, and that should spur us on in our growth. But we can also be consumed with impressing people around us. Are you a different person alone than around other people? Jesus is talking about lives before God. Interestingly, though, it's not just these four verses. Again, we can't read, just kind of pluck a few verses out, even as we're breaking this down week to week. This, this is one big, like, like, continuous reading. We should be reading straight through this. So all of chapter 6 emphasizes this idea of living lives before God. Verse 1, righteousness is to be God-focused, not self-focused. Verses 2 through 4, our giving should be towards God. Verses 9 and 10, pray to the glory of God and God's kingdom. Verse 18, fast before God and not to be seen by others. Verse 20, lay up your rewards in heaven before God. Verse 24, you cannot serve God and other people. You can only have one master, one king, one kingdom. Verse 25, worry results from trusting in, not trusting in God to provide. Seek first God's kingdom. Do you you see what Jesus is asking and saying? He's talking about two kingdoms here. His kingdom or your own kingdom. Who is your king, Jesus is asking. God or yourself. The one you seek praise from is the one you think is the king. Or at least your functional king. Who is your audience? Are you slavishly performing for an audience that will never be satisfied with you? Or are you, are, are you in freedom practicing righteousness out of the overflow of your acceptance that you have in Christ? Your co-workers will never be satisfied with you. Your roommate will never be satisfied with you. 
Your mom and your dad will probably never be satisfied with you. Your brother and your sister won't be satisfied with you. Your wife, your husband, your children, your neighbor will never be fully satisfied with you. You always have to do more to perform for them because they're finite, limited people that we demand people to merit and earn things from us constantly. It's our reflex. Are you performing for an audience that will never be satisfied The motivation for our generosity reveals who we really worship, God or ourselves. And Jesus makes this statement here in verse 1 that is sort of just, it's like a balloon just totally deflating. He says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There is no reward for this type of lifestyle. This is the warning. But what does Jesus mean by this? Well, we'll come back to that. So I'm going to leave you hanging with what is the reward Jesus is talking about. That's just to keep you awake because I know it's warm in here. and Everyone's getting a little drowsy. 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 What is this reward? We'll We'll understand what this reward is a little bit better in a moment as we continue to hear what Jesus has to say. But whatever it is. It seems Jesus wants us thinking beyond this earth and earthly attention to something else because he refers to our Father in heaven, right? So we see sort of earth and heaven, metaphors for how we're living our lives, lives primarily before God or lives primarily before others. So in verses 2 through 4, Jesus starts off here people-pleasing, righteousness before other people. So then he hits this idea of generosity, a call to self-forgetful generosity. Jesus says, stop thinking about you. Verse 1 has given us a general warning about the motivation for our piety and our righteous actions, but now Jesus gets specific on the topic of giving to the needy. He starts off with really a negative statement, how not to give to those in need. This is how not to do it. When you give, he says, which is interesting, when he says when you give, there's just sort of an assumption in that, not if you give. When you give, don't sound a trumpet. Now, I'm a trumpet player. Are there any other trumpet players in here? Yes. Okay. So Jesus is throwing a little bit of shade at trumpet players for some reason. And trumpet players... um, If you don't know, the joke about them is that they have big egos. I don't know why that is, but I take offense at that. My ego takes offense at that. So even today, the trumpet is something we think of, of announcing something big, loud, and if you're not good at it, obnoxious. Jesus just uses this almost sarcastic, silly illustration. There's really not necessarily any evidence that people were doing this. So Jesus is using sort of just using an illustration of when you walk into the synagogue, don't announce how you are serving others with the trumpet. It would be as if when uh, Luke came up here and said, hey, um, talked about giving, and he talked about the church plant, and he called us as members of this body to continue to be generous, that as he said that, I stood up with my phone, pulled up the Renaissance app and said, I'm giving some money. What would you do? You would be like, no, 
That's not okay. Right? We're, we're all, we just, that's not okay. Have you ever met someone like this? That draws attention to themselves? Who comes to your mind right now? Was it someone else that just came to your mind or yourself? If it was someone else, that might be indicative of a little bit of our own self-righteousness at the moment. That other people struggle with this. When you interact with scripture, our our default should be to listen to the passage for what Jesus is saying to us. Not what it's saying for another person. Not... Wow, yeah, Jesus, this is a great word this morning. I need to beware of practicing righteousness. I sure hope that Pastor Rob is listening to this message right now. We, we can do that. We think of other people. We need these words from Jesus. What does this look like in our lives? It, it might be the way we talk about the things we do. It might be the way we publicize what we do, maybe online. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but Jesus is driving at the motivation, not so much the action. He wants you to think about why you're doing what you're doing. You might even see this in some of the businesses you work for that sometimes do community things and publicize it, and, you know, it does help the business. Is your generosity tied to your ego? Do, do we feel the need that others know what we're doing, Jesus says? Do we feel the need to be making a statement about what we're doing? What if no one ever knew how you were generous to others or served others? Would you be okay with that? Or would you wonder, but Andrew, what if they think I don't care about people? What if they think I'm ignoring needs or ignoring the call to love others? What if they think I'm ignoring the call to show mercy to the needy? I need them to know because I I don't want them to think poorly of me. Jesus says to that, stop thinking about yourself. Jesus is calling us to self-forgetfulness, not posturing or positioning ourselves to look good or be thought of highly. Sometimes... Kelly will come home from being out, and we've had a great day at home. I've been a great dad in some way, in my mind, or a great husband, and I feel this need to tell her all the great things I did. Because she'll think I'm a great husband and a great dad, which normally comes with the response of, and great. That's the expectation, Andrew. We want people's affirmation and attention so that they think, I'm great. Jesus says, stop the hypocrisy. Stop putting on a show. Stop acting. The motivation of hypocritical generosity, Jesus says, is the praise of others. That's what's motivating. This motivation, Jesus says, is devoid of God. It's as if God doesn't exist. It's as if he's not even there. God isn't even the, in the equation of that motivation. So Jesus says, hey, this person got their reward already. It's temporal. It's a pat on the back. Praise that you keep having to earn. 
So then Jesus transitions to provide a positive illustration of how to give. I love Jesus when he teaches. He just gives illustrations. I don't have to give them. He just throws them in there. But he throws in really kind of funny illustrations. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I think even the children in here can hear that statement and go, that does not make any sense. How could I not let my left hand know what my right hand is doing unless my brain is not functioning between the two? This might sound ridiculous. Again, Jesus is using a metaphor with hyperbole to just to point, to make a point. Jesus is saying that it's as if you could be so not self-absorbed or so not self-conscious that in the act of your right hand swiping up to click on PayPal to give, that your left hand never finds out. If that were possible, you would be so not absorbed with yourself in the act. Jesus is saying that to give with some degree of secrecy, we must not even think about ourselves in the act. You don't even notice yourself. John Stott says this. He says, So subtle is the sinfulness of the heart that it's possible to take deliberate steps to keep our giving secret from other people while simultaneously dwelling on it in our minds in a spirit of self-congratulation. Have you ever been there? You do something and no one else knows, but you're just going, that's pretty good. Pat on the back. Inwardly, we're self-focused, praising ourselves. I, I think this is the ultimate heart issue Jesus is driving at. Yes, we should not do things to get the attention and praise of others, but there's a sense in which we can still be self-congratulatory internally, patting ourselves on the back doing it before ourselves. Because the problem of seeking the approval of others was never really the other people. It is myself. John Stott says, the new life in Jesus is one of uncalculating generosity. You're not writing down, did this, I did this, I did this, okay, I've done my things. It's uncalculating generosity. Jesus is going a level even deeper in our motivations. You guys, Jesus went another level. He goes, what about your motivations? Are you doing that just to get the attention of others? And then he goes a little bit deeper and goes, you should, are, are you just, the, even in the act, are you yourself just congratulating yourself? Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I call this the Luke Zappa level of diagnostic questions. If you've been around Luke enough, is, where is Luke? I appreciate that. Sometimes I'll ask Luke to do this to me. Because if, if Luke says, how are you doing? And you go, good. He's not going to let it stand. He's going to go, what's going good? And then you're like, I don't want to talk about this. Okay, it's actually going bad, Luke. What happened? I don't want to talk about this. He doesn't let you all, he just keeps going and going and going. This is Jesus. Keeps going. We're like, come on, Jesus, stop. I, I stopped doing it to get people's attention. And Jesus is like, well, now you just think you're great. So, the reward. What is this reward Jesus keeps talking about? Jesus said, if you, if you live in this way, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
So what is Jesus talking about here? He talks about reward actually multiple times throughout chapter 6. Now, at face value, you may be having two different reactions to this passage. So think through this with me. Maybe you're hearing Scripture for the first time today, or you're evaluating Christianity in some way, and you're thinking, how is what Jesus is saying any different than any other religion? It sounds to me like Jesus is just saying he'll reward us for our good works, that we earn something by it, that we gain God's favor by doing good works with right motivations. So, Andrew, how is that any different than any other religion I've read about or listened to? And so you might be thinking, if that's the case, how would we ever be able to meet this demand? Because you and I both know that our motivations are never fully pure. You've never done We've never been motivated purely there's always some hint of self in there they're mixed so how could we ever live up to this standard if that's what you're thinking you'd be right in thinking this on the other hand others of you might be followers of Christ and you're thinking Andrew this sounds different than other parts of scripture or even Jesus own teaching that we can't earn our salvation we can't earn our justification so why is he talking about us being rewarded for our good works If that's what Jesus is saying, this seems to be divergent. And you would be right in thinking that if that's what Jesus is saying. But if Jesus is calling us to lives of pure motivation to earn a right standing before him, that wouldn't really make sense in this passage. Again, we have to read this in the context of everything else. It wouldn't really make much sense. Think about it this way. Is Jesus saying, don't practice your good works in front of others in order to earn people's favor, but instead practice your good works in order to earn my favor. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus saying, make yourself the center of the attention, but just not be a human praise. Make yourself the center of attention through my praise. I will praise and glorify you, human. Is Jesus saying, don't just do things to get the praise of people, do things to get the praise of God. Is Jesus diverting you as the center of attention from a different point? No, Jesus is clearly saying in chapter 5 and chapter 6, do things to bring praise and attention to him, that others might glorify him. Jesus is saying, get the arrows off of yourself. Jesus is calling us away from self-gazing admiration like we do in the mirror every day where you stand there and go, wow, I look pretty good. Jesus isn't saying we get something good because we earn it, but instead we get something good because of what has been earned for us. The reward we get is not something we have earned directly, but something we get to participate in because of being in, it says, the Father's family. Righteous motivations don't earn God's favor. They're indicative of the fact that God has poured his favor out on us. How do we know this? Because You and I can never live in such a way without the work of the Spirit. You and I, everyone in this room knows you cannot have that type of pure motivation. This type of motivation is an evidence of grace in our lives. And if you have grace, you have the greatest reward, one that someone else earned for you. Jesus is not calling us to be impressed with ourselves, but impressed with the work God is doing in and through us. That is the reward. Participation in the work God is doing in the world. 
God's kingdom, participation in his kingdom, not in our own little kingdom. Not a kingdom where we are so self-absorbed that we would serve a person in need to build up our own ego. That's a small kingdom. But a kingdom where we can and where we and others can, as Jonathan Pennington says, can flourish. It's a kingdom of flourishing with blessed participants, as Jesus talks about in chapter 5. Participants in Christ now and for eternity. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in us. One author says the reward Jesus is speaking of is the disproportionate return of God's grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is about freedom, not fear, not bondage. We are freed up from the praise of man because we have the favor of God in Christ already. Do you believe that? Christians here, you are freed up from the praise of man because we have the favor of God in Christ already. We are free to be generous because of God's generosity towards us. Jesus isn't calling us into fear and anxiety, but freedom and flourishing. Jesus earned the reward we never could earn. Through the greatest act of generosity and sacrifice ever done. Giving up his life for us. The needy ones. We are the needy ones in need of generosity. But for the joy, it says in Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, the reward. Jesus was looking at a reward. The joy and reward that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Maybe today you aren't a follower of Jesus yet. And, and you've never considered that someone, there's someone who knows all about you and sees all things, even in secret. Someone who gave up himself in generosity so that you could be freed up to be generous and to live for something outside of yourself. If that's you today, I, I want to compel you to trust Jesus. For those of you who call yourselves Christians, where are you seeking your acceptance still? Maybe it's to be seen by others. Don't forget your Savior sees and knows you. Maybe you love the glory that comes from other people more than the approval of God in Christ. Maybe you struggle with being different when you're alone than you are with other people who's your king who's your audience who are you performing for jesus has completed the performance when he said it is finished there was no acting left on our part 
The curtain was closed. In fact, actually the curtain tore in two, right? The, the, the play was over. Jesus finished it. It was done. There's nothing else left to be done. What Jesus is calling to us to is freedom to live out of that. We, might, we can be so generous it, that we don't think of ourselves. The motivation for our generosity reveals who we really worship, ourselves or God.